Blaine, hit those lights for me back there. Let's pray. Thank you. Bye. Lord, we are um, thankful for these next few minutes that we get to spend together. Uh, we're thankful for the time that we've already had to spend enjoying uh, the reading of your word, uh, singing true things back to you about you and what you've done for us and your son. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that your people have already gathered. We've had a chance to sit in Bible study and to fellowship together, to enjoy each other, enjoy our shared Savior, our shared Spirit, shared Lord. I want to pray in these next few minutes that you will do something wonderful for us, that you will show us the greatness of your Son as shepherd. Lord, also this morning I want to pray for uh, the Beal people of India, a uh, people group of uh, 17 million people, less than 1% are Christians. Lord, we pray for this people group this morning and asking, we are asking for this 0.76% Christian representation in this people group, that they would be salty, bright, and aromatic, or that you would stir that people to be uh, bold in their faith, um, that they would speak as men and women and women of sincerity in Christ, or that they would be a sweet aroma uh, to those around them, the people you may be drawing. Lord, I, we pray together this morning that you would do something amazing among this people group and that you would stir people here uh, to go to these far corners and to preach Christ's name, Christ's work, your goodness. Lord, we are asking you to do something wonderful among the Beal people. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for another church in our community and praying for Crossroads Church and thankful for the chance to share a ministry in this community with Crossroads. We're praying for Mike and Andrea Sanders praying for Mike as he um, ministers to and cares for and loves his wife as Christ loved the church. Lord, that the gospel would be on display in their marriage, would be display, on display in their family. Lord, to pray that the gospel would fuel those relationships and that those blessings would spill over and overflow onto a people that in his preaching and his teaching that you would equip the saints that they too would be salty, bright, and aromatic in a community that um, we want to make you known here. And pray that you would give us opportunities to serve unofficially or officially alongside Crossroads and thankful for the chance to lift them up in prayer this morning. And pray too for those this morning who are sick, uh, undergoing all kinds of treatments and are fighting for their lives, families that are supporting them and tending to them, Lord, we also pray for Channing's family as we lifted her up last week and now she's with you. Pray that that big space that she's left, uh, that you would minister to the family, that you would sustain them, that they would grieve uh, as those who have hope, uh, knowing and trusting that Channing is with you. Lord, we turn this time over to you and pray that you will be uh, honored and blessed it will be a sweet aroma and a sweet offering to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We turn to the book of Zechariah. <clears throat> Zechariah 7 is where I'll have a start this morning. A 2001 study found that sheep 
can recognize and remember at least 50 individual faces for more than two years. Sheep, I think, have always considered them being really dumb. I think I've even preached, when I preached through John chapter 10 and the, the uh, shepherd uh, chapter, it was a series of passages that are a series of sermons that we preached from that chapter. I think I probably represented sheep as being pretty stupid. And in fact, there's some studies that, sh- that showed that, that sheep aren't as dumb as we thought they were. They can remember at least 50 individual faces for more than two years. That's longer than many humans. In the study, the the researcher's team trained sheep to distinguish between 25 pairs of sheep by associating one member of each pair with a food reward. And sheep showed clear behavioral signs of recognizing individuals by vocalizing in response to their face pictures. The team also found evidence that sheep can differentiate human facial expressions and prefer a smile to a frown. The researchers said that the way the sheep's brain is organized suggests they must have some kind of emotional response to what they see in the world. Other studies have shown that sheep actually mourn the absence of their buddies when they're led off to slaughter. Another study found that sheep can learn to navigate out of a complex maze. The enticing sight of their fellow sheep, uh, sheep friends awaiting them at the finish helped them reach the exit. It's kind of cute and sweet. Sheep also have complex social structures. Researchers from the University of California observed rams for three years and discovered that they established firm friendships and looked out for one another in times of need. So apparently sheep aren't stupid, what we would officially say is stupid or dumb. But sheep sure can get themselves into a mess. I found a news clip on um, an accident that happened involving sheep in 2005 in Iran. 1,499, and I don't know that that's exactly precise down to the number, 1,499 sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, many of them plunging to their deaths while shepherds looked on in dismay. Their shepherds. 400 sheep fell 15 meters, about 45 feet. That's a significant fall. To their deaths into a ravine in Van Province, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived because they landed on them. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. Sheep are not dumb, but they sure can make a mess and get into a pickle because they really, ultimately, need a shepherd on duty and need a good shepherd at that. Zechariah chapter 7 and 8 are in some ways transition chapters in the book of Zechariah, where Zechariah eventually fast forwards from where we've been these last few weeks by about 20, 25 years. And in chapters 7 and 8, it's sort of a summary of what's happened in the past for Israel and what God's going to do. In chapter 7, verse 11, Zechariah summarizes the exiles with these words. But they, being Israel, refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. 
They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts as I called and they would not hear. So they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was left desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. That little description is like 1,500 sheep on the bottom of a 45-foot ravine. It is heartbreaking. And ultimately what's to blame is the shepherds were not on duty. And the shepherds that actually were on duty weren't good shepherds. Like the shepherds eating breakfast, the shepherds of Israel had a terrible, terrible track record. The best of them was a familiar shepherd, someone that you would be uh, that you would know by name, the man named David, the second king of Israel. David started out as a shepherd king. Just listen to a few little excerpts about this guy's story. David, the ultimate, the consummate shepherd king. His story began when Saul actually questioned him about, you're going to take on this giant? His response was, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I'm a shepherd, King Saul. I've got this. When there came a lion or a bear and I took a lamb or I took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he's defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This guy began as a shepherd. His story is ultimately the story of shepherding. A, few chap- a book later and a few chapters later in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, in fact, a crowd of Israelites, the, the elders of Israel, gather him together. And they are gathered, David, or they gather together and get David. And they said, tell him, you shall be a shepherd of my people, Israel. This is what God said to them. David, you're supposed to be a shepherd of this people. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was kinged over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, David, You shall be a shepherd of my people Israel. You shall be a prince over Israel. So the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. This guy was the consummate shepherd king. Even his songs reflected his identity as a shepherd King, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. What a beautiful picture of a shepherd king. How could this flock have ended up in such a pickle? This guy who's the most wonderful picture of a shepherd king, actually there's a a story that unfolds In 2 Samuel chapter 12, where Nathan confronts David about something that he's done. 
Some of y'all know this story, but I want you to connect his role as a shepherd king to what David or what Nathan uses to confront this man. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him, with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled. Just connect the shepherding identity in this guy. His anger is greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. What did Nathan say to him? He said, You, David, are that man. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what was evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And this guy started so well, the consummate shepherd king. What a beautiful picture of a, a guy that was a strong shepherd and a strong king. He started well, he served well, but he ended so poorly. The story of this shepherd king was tragic, and he's the best of the batch for Israel and Judah. He ended up being an adulterer and a murderer, taking the one ewe lamb and killing the one who cherished her. It's no surprise they ended up at the bottom of a ravine in exile. This was the best shepherd king that Israel had ever experienced or ever would experience. And here they are in a real pickle. But in Zechariah chapter 8, it appears that God is going to do something new. A few passages reference this new thing that God is doing. And and Isaiah develops this image. And Jeremiah develops this language of something new. And Zechariah points towards something new. In chapter 8, verse 11, he says, But now I will not deal with this remnant, this flock, as in former days, declares the Lord of hosts. He's about to do something new. And chapters 9 and 10 give us a window into that new thing. And will actually be a new person. So let's climb into chapters 9 and 10 where we'll be for the majority of the morning. I'd like to read through chapter 9 and just draw out a few things. And then just take a few excerpts from chapter 10. And then we're going to go to one passage in our New Testament. And then we'll have our supper. Zechariah chapter 9. Beginning in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I've bent Judah as my bow. I've made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on this land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. There's a promise here, this Identity, this identity begins to develop of this new thing and this new person that's promised. And in here we see pictures, little windows into what this king is going to be like. First of all, he's going to be a, cum, a, a humble king. Instead of riding a war horse, he's going to ride a donkey's colt. He's going to speak peace to the nations. Peace to the nations. He's going to rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. These boundaries are going to push well beyond they'd ever experienced with David or Solomon. He's going to set prisoners free, it says in verse 11. He's going to restore double, it says in verse 12. He's going to protect them, it says in verse 15. And this promised shepherd, it says in verse 16 and 17, will be good. How good is his greatness, and he will be beautiful. Let's gather up a few more little excerpts from chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Ask for rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain. To everyone, the vegetation in the field, for the household gods utter nonsense. And the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Unlike their previous shepherds who were ultimately, as he's sort of illustrating here, waterless clouds that did not deliver, this shepherd will deliver. And in fact, this shepherd can bring what no other shepherd had ever brought before, rain. For people who are raising flocks, rain is a good thing, and they need it. And this shepherd can deliver. These guys had been so poorly shepherded that they had resorted to household gods. Years ago, Christy and our family, we had the chance to go to um, Italy, and we visited Pompeii, where this, this city was, was in some ways sort of preserved under a mountain of ash from Vesuvius uh, eruption. 
We got to visit these little houses, and these little houses each had these little divots in every house, a little corner, a little nook, a little space where they placed their household gods, little pagan gods that they carved with their knives, that they cut down in the woods and carved these little figures that they would pray to. And apparently Israel had resorted to looking toward the household gods. They'd been so poorly shepherd, shepherded by waterless clouds. But this shepherd will be altogether different. This shepherd will deliver. In verse 3, we grab a couple more things. He says, My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. There's something really special about that passage where he identifies the flock as his very own. This shepherd king cares for his flock because he's not a hireling. And because his sheep will not be loaned out to him, he will possess those sheep. He is protective of them because he owns them. And he's going to care for them so well. This is a strange word to associate with sheep. He's actually going to make them like a majestic steed. The notion of majestic Sheep is almost comical, but at the same time, it's kind of beautiful. Look at verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. We can add to these things that he brings rain He brings ownership and possession of this flock. He's going to protect them. He's going to actually uh, add majestic plans to their future. We can add that he will strengthen them and he will save them and that he is compassionate. Look at verse 8. It says, I will whistle for them and gather them in. For I have redeemed them and they shall be as many as they were before. He strengthens, he saves, he's compassionate, he will possess them, he brings what no other shepherd could bring, and he whistles and he gathers because he's redeemed them. He's purchased them. They weren't even given to him. He purchased them for himself. He purchased this flock that he is gathering. Man, this must have been a wonderful promise to this people because if David was the best that they had ever experienced, they'd experienced plenty kings since then. If you've read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you see these stories of all these kings where it's like good king, bad king, good king, bad king, and even the good ones go bad. Man, Uzziah last week, one of the best, ended up dying as a leper. What a disappointing bunch of leaders for this people. It's no surprise they ended up at the bottom of a ravine. But there's a promise of a new shepherd king that's going to be altogether different, that's going to bring what those shepherds could not, that's going to possess them, that's going to redeem them, that's going to strengthen them, that's going to save them, that's going to be compassionate, that's going to whistle and gather them. Boy, what a beautiful image, and I'm looking for it. Man, if I was in this time, in Zechariah's time, I'd be looking for him, and I'm looking in his contemporaries, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai. Esther, Malachi, and he's not there. 
I'm looking for him between the Testaments. He's not there. The Maccabees didn't. read a passage for you as we prepare for spending the rest of our morning in John chapter 10. I'm looking for him in all these contemporaries of Zechariah, and I can't find him. The next person that you could even possibly imagine would even be a king, for that matter, is King Herod. And King Herod was not even born a Jew. Can't be him. He's promising this shepherd king, and I can't find him. Where is this new thing that Jeremiah talked about? This new thing that Isaiah prophesied? Where is this shepherd king that Zechariah was pointing toward? This shepherd king shows up in Luke chapter 2. You stay in John 10. I'm going to read a familiar passage to you. And pay special attention where this announcement is made and who it's made to. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them, no place for them in the inn. And the same region there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, a bunch of shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you a bunch of shepherds, really good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, a bunch of shepherds is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, where is he? There he is. There he is, finally, now he's here. And in John chapter 10, he actually starts to voice who he is. John chapter 10, in verse 11, he says simply, I am the good shepherd. Man, let's just sit here for a minute and just take that in. I am am the good shepherd. You know what he didn't say there, but he might as well have said it. I'm who Zachariah was talking about. It's me. I'm that new thing that Jeremiah was pointing toward. I'm that new thing that Isaiah was prophesying. I'm the good Shepherd, good is such a simple word, but a welcome word for a bunch of disappointed sheep at the bottom of a ravine. How great is his goodness. Amen? How great is his goodness. Let's just read a few verses in this little excerpt here in John chapter 10, and enjoy this good shepherd for a few moments. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. 
But this shepherd is different. This shepherd says, these are mine. These are my sheep, and I will lay down my life for these sheep. He says, I am a good, the good shepherd, again in verse 14, in case we've missed that already. He says, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Man. He knows us like a good shepherd knows his sheep, each of them by name. You know, a good shepherd names his sheep, and he knows their their little quirks. He knows their little fears. He knows their little body language, the little things that indicate what they're thinking. A good shepherd knows all those things, and this good shepherd knows his sheep. And shockingly, in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Man, what's really shocking in this passage so far for me is just the thought that here he is. He's revealed himself, uh, gets some sense that he he, he is the fulfillment of what Zechariah was talking about, what Jeremiah was talking about, what Isaiah was promising, this new thing. He is this promised shepherd king, which is really awesome. But then in verse 16, this notion that this shepherd is also gathering more sheep into his flock. That should be good news to a bunch of Gentiles on the far opposite side of the world from where this is going down 2,000 years ago. That that's what he's about. He's gathering a flock from all corners of the world, from all ages, from every clime and place. That he's gathering flock and sheep from families that have no religious background. Drawing them out through a conversation at Starbucks He's gathering sheep from among the homeless. He's gathering sheep from among the rich. It's harder, but he's still doing it, managing. He's gathering sheep from the educated, from the poor, from the prostitutes, from the tax collectors, from the sinners, from the fishermen. What a great shepherd. He's gathering sheep from among engineers. Good for a lot of guys in this room, right? Amen? He's gathering sheep from the teachers. What a great shepherd. He's gathering sheep from the builders, from the car washers. He's gathering sheep from the prisons. These last few months, I've realized and learned that there are a group of folks that gather with us that are not with us. Often on Sunday mornings, there are a group of people that somehow we have landed in this podcast search for people that are in prisons and incarcerated all over our country who are listening to us and joining us right now. We get letters from them. I've got one couple communicating with another guy right now. And bring them encouragement. So not only are they hearing what's happening here, they're finding community through what they're writing to one another. Man, he's gathering sheep. Because he's a good shepherd. He's gathering sheep from all over the world. 
He's gathering sheep from broken marriages, maybe through the trauma of that difficulty. He's gathering sheep from happy marriages. He's gathering sheep from the hedges and the highways and the byways. This good shepherd is calling his sheep. He's whistling for his sheep. He's calling for policemen. He's calling firemen. He's saying, come follow me. He's saying, come all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He's saying, I'll lead you beside still waters. To some that we know are just men are in the throes of struggle right now. He says, I'll lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. How great is his goodness. Man, sheep are not dumb. But if you're like me, and have made a few messes, have found yourself at the bottom of a few ravines. You've got to enjoy together that we've got a good sheep that will leave the 99 to find the one. Or a good shepherd that will leave the 99 to find the one. Man, if you found yourself in exile, there's help for you in this good shepherd king. The shepherd king is so good and so beautiful. My ask for you this morning, my question for you this morning, I know we have folks that visit with us from time to time that have known Christ for years, decades. But we have folks that visit with us from time to time that don't know him at all and they're searching. My ask of you this morning is whether you've known him for decades and walked with him most of your life, shepherd's voice this morning. Have you heard the shepherd's voice in these times where you've looked for him, are you hearing him this morning as he says these words, I am the good shepherd. And you're like, you know what? I need a shepherd. My appeal to you this morning is to come and follow this great shepherd because his goodness is great. Let's pray. God, we are uh, thankful for this just simple, simple picture into our shepherd, uh, this shepherd king that we have in the person of Christ. Well, we are thankful that you are compassionate and that this shepherd king is the kind of shepherd king that will leave the 99 to find the one. thankful that this shepherd king is the kind of shepherd king that will draw those out of the ravine and draw those out of broken marriages and difficult circumstances and draw those out of faithless homes Lord we are thankful that this is the kind of shepherd that we enjoy and that we worship every single Sunday as we gather we're thankful that this is the kind of shepherd that we have in Christ he is great in goodness. We're thankful. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
He said in this passage a number of times, I lay down my life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep over and over again. In verses 17 and 18, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This shepherd indeed laid down his life for the sheep of his own accord. And he redeemed us in that event, in that work. And he owns us through that work. We are his and he will protect us. He will care for us. He will guide us like a good shepherd. How great is his goodness. Let's distribute the elements.